Welcome to the Yang Gang Roundtable. It is Saturday, April 4th. I am Shale Riley. I have with me my friends Ariel, Jacqueline, Jeremy, and Zach, all UBI advocates, and we are going to advocate for UBI today. Um, instead of the moderated discussion format, I'm going to try something else. Uh, instead of the, the, the split recording session where we do a short moderated discussion, every recording session followed by a long open discussion. In the month of April, I'd like to try doing three open discussions that are the full recording session a week, and then one moderated discussion that is open attendance. So you may attend just your, you know, you can just attend your your open discussion for your group, or you can attend just the moderated discussion if that is the one you prefer, or you can attend both. So um, that'll give people more flexibility uh, to participate in the, the format that they prefer. So does that sound good to you guys? Yeah, sure. I dig also, it. Also, yeah. we'll get the potentially a larger group together uh, for the moderated discussion once a week. So we'll see how that works out. But cool. Thank you for being flexible. Um, so our assistant producer, Caroline, has chosen two topics for this week. They are uh, linked in the orientation channel in the Discord uh, or the documents channel. They're neither. Uh and I think they're also pinned to the chat channel. So go ahead and bring that up if you'd like to uh, read along while I read aloud or look at it for reference later in the show. Topic number one, in the United States, the COVID-19 crisis has been exacerbated by a shortage of medical equipment, specifically ventilators, PPE, um, et cetera. This is largely due to our healthcare industry maximizing profits. In one example, U.S. public health officials awarded a contract several years ago to a small company called Newport to manufacture inexpensive ventilators. However, Newport was acquired by a large company called Coviden, who canceled the contract due to its lack of profitability. How could the situation and ones like it be prevented in the future? So that's one topic to, to consider uh, during this open discussion. And the second is New York Governor Andrew Cuomo has won a great deal of respect and support for his handling of the COVID-19 outbreak. Some have called for him to run for president in 2024. However, in an age where people don't trust the political establishment, he is seen as part of that establishment. Is Cuomo electable? And to what demographic does he appeal, if so? Um, so you can address anything you'd like relating to UBI, poverty, and electoral politics, including, but not limited to, those two weekly topics. And uh, without further delay, I will just yield the floor to you. All right. Uh, who would you like to start? Anyone. This is an open discussion. I'm not going to be calling on anyone. Uh, I should I should introduce the one one more piece of framework. Let's try to keep um, try to keep talking for no more than four minutes at a time. And if someone is going more than three minutes and you'd like to interject or reply, just type I in the chat and. Uh, Hopefully they will see it, or if they don't see it for a long time, then someone can politely mention to them, but someone else would like to speak. So there we go. Uh, anyone can begin. Okay. Um, I'm probably going to catch a ton of flack for this, but um, truth isn't always convenient. It doesn't always care about feels or ego or moral probity. Uh, Andrew Cuomo is no hero here, and I'm going to tell you why. I don't think that's that unpopular of you. I mean, I'm in New York and, you know, mixed feelings at best. So go on, yeah. yeah. Um, first of all, I found out about this from reading Jacobin, which, you know, uh, is hardly, you know, a pro Trump publish, uh, publication, but those guys who write for Jacobin, they, they tend to bring, 
they tend to 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 bring data and, and back their shit up. Uh, and I found out some disturbing things. Number one is that uh, a lot of the problems with the shortage of hospital beds and ventilators in the state of New York is due to policies uh, involving cuts, not just to New York State Medicaid budget, but to the, the healthcare system in the state of New York in general that Andrew Cuomo had championed or outright supported for many, many, many years, right? And um, I'm just going to share with you guys a little piece of that article from Jacobin. And this is written by Akash Mehta. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Akash Mehta, M-E-H-T-A. This person really did a bang-up job on their investigative journalism. So this is what I have to share. Um, It says, perhaps most scandalously of all, he continues to push to meet a budget shortfall by enacting deep Medicaid cuts rather than passing a wildly popular tax increases on the 0.01%, even though this would require him to turn down billions of dollars in federal coronavirus aid to the state. And uh, uh, last week, even as New York became a global epicenter of the pandemic, Cuomo's Medicaid redesign team, MRT, released its proposals to cut $2.5 billion from the state Medicaid budget including 400 million to hospitals as they battle the coronavirus in the next year. Cuomo justifies the cuts as reining in out-of-control Medicaid spending. But as Roosevelt Institute fellows J.W. Mason and Naomi Zweed note, Medicaid spending is already under control. It's been rising at the same rate as New York's economy as a whole. Decades of cuts to New York's health care services, many of them championed by Cuomo, have contributed to the present crisis. Guys, this is serious shit. I mean, the one thing I'll say uh, is I think every state has a shortage of ventilators and masks and equipment. You know, I, I don't think this is necessarily a New York specific issue. I mean, I, I don't know all that much about this specific article or about the the state of the state Medicare system. But, you know, I, I do think that this is more of a national problem. I, I have a hard time pointing the finger at, you know, Andrew Cuomo and saying that he's wrong when every single state has the same issue going on. You know, I, I well, kind of see this more of like a of a, a national defense situation where it really should be the federal government stockpiling ventilators and masks well, and cutting, the federal uh, government hasn't been doing that. Well, cutting cutting Medicaid, cutting Medicaid, okay, which is something that the hardest hit New Yorkers are relying on to try to survive the deadliest pandemic of a freaking century. Okay, I, I'm not going to make apologia for that. I, I don't care. You know, I'm just... But treatment is supposed to be free for this. It was a part of the bill that was passed. Supposed to be. I think Jeremy has something to interject. Yeah, I think it's the the accusation there is it's you're kind of framing it as Andrew Cuomo is trying to kill poor people in New York. That's what it really boils down to. Right. And I can't imagine his uh, his motives being that nefarious. Perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps Andrew Cuomo is trying to kill poor people in New York. 
No, you, have a, highly, you have a great point. Um, he's done something. I think he's done something terrible, but clearly he's not a cartoon villain. His incentives are not that of like a mustache twirling cartoon villain. So, what are his real incentives? Right. I, I think, from from my perspective, I mean, is, is Andrew Cuomo dropping the ball? In some regards, I'm sure. I'm sure he is. But I mean, um, there, there, there's no. There's no governor currently trying to deal with this crisis on a scale that he is currently. Um, so I don't, I'm not sure if he deserves sympathy. I'm not sure if he deserves slack. I mean, he definitely. I mean, every politician is deserving of criticism. Um, sure. And uh, I, I, I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a resident of New York, so I can't speak. That's okay. I'm not going to be offended. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would yeah, like so, your honest opinion. Yeah, I, I have no idea what it's like at Ground Zero right now, but at least you know it's not. It's not probably not all that different for me than it is for you, experientially right now. Well, I'm I'm happy to hear that. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I think uh, as as man, as long as they can keep, as long as they don't run out of ventilators, I think they're going to come out. Andrew Cuomo personally will come out looking better. Well, and we have run out of ventilators. That's the issue right now. I am I am 90 minutes north of New York City. And what's going on right now is uh, there's a call from from New York to take ventilators from like upstate to New York City, and I support that because people are dying there right now. And some people are saying that you know, hey, we up here are going to need those. We are keeping the amount of ventilators that we need, you know, for the projections that we have. But we are giving some ventilators to to New York downstate because people are dying right now. So I don't have any kind of problem with that. But um, as far as, you know, criticism and praise, uh, I think we can pretty clearly parse out what deserves to be criticized, what deserves to be praised. Prior to this crisis, Cuomo slashed uh, the budget in ways that would have prevented many deaths. He lacked foresight. He just went with the political wins. You know, he said, oh, austerity is the thing we're doing. Austerity is the way we are making the budget work right now at all levels of government. So I'm just going to go with austerity. It's what I can do. You know, he's just kind of a go with the flow kind of politician. Uh, but uh, he has been performing admirably since the crisis, given the constraints he set up for himself. You know, he set up this deficit. He made this bed, but he is at least lying in it. So credit for lying in the bed that you made, Andrew. Hey, hey, sure, just real quick. So there, there's currently people in New York that need, um, they need, need to be hooked up to ventilators, but they're being denied access because there's a, there aren't enough ventilators. They ran out. Wow. Yes. In New York City hospitals, there's a shortage of ventilators. Doctors are like being faced with the choice of like who to prioritize the life of. All right. Hey, hey, uh, so I was digging around on some uh, some ventilator stuff yesterday. Uh, I'm going to post this picture in the chat. So this picture here of this ventilator, this is a $100 ventilator. This is made by a company called uh, Vortran. Uh, they're a they're a California-based company, and it works on the principles of the original ventilators from the fifties. From the uh, the company that used to make something similar, it was called Bird. Uh, their flagship invention was the Bird Mark Seven. There's a picture of it there, and essentially, what this this respirator does is replicate what they did back then in uh, with using modern techniques. It's incredibly simple to use, incredibly simple to manufacture, and I, I really wonder why uh, we haven't gone down the path of uh, mass-producing these. It's, it, it, it could have been, well, I guess it still could be, um, what saves count, countless lives. Well, um, I mean, it's, 
Yeah, it seems like we don't have the capacity for a non-market-based solution at the federal level. <laughs> you know, that's like the only way I can explain this myself. You you really laid it out. It is astonishing that we can't, uh, being this wealthy, powerful, uh, organized nation, produce many hundred-dollar ventilators. <laughs> But we can't. <laughs> what, are, what are the medical specifications? I mean, that this is the thing. I don't know anything about medical equipment or what the requirements are. I think it would really be a great idea to defer to the experts in that field, you know, because I don't know. I just know that um, that 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 policies of austerity kill, and that, by the way, is neoliberalism in a nutshell. Neoliberalism is an economic framework that is, it's not particular to any political party. It's an economic framework. And unfortunately, the, the name neoliberalism, it, it causes a lot of confusion uh, and people don't understand what it is. So I'm going to call it by its name that I used to call it when I was running around in Trotsky circles, okay? And that is inverted totalitarianism, where... Um, the corporate class operates within the behind the anonymity of the state. They operate in 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 there. Oh shit! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not getting my talking right today. You know what I'm saying, though. Okay. Um, that's what we've got, right? And under a situation like that, yes, the poor are sacrificed, and there's a hell of a lot of people in this country that are fine with that because they think the poor don't deserve to live. When people point the finger and say, oh, you know, how comes we, you know, you have such shitty politicians in Congress that won't pass UBI or won't pass, you know, you know, health care for everybody. Well, look at the people who are voting and what they support. This country is full of people that hate the poor and would be more than happy to see the poor just suffer and die quietly, out of sight and out of mind. And you know what? I'm not very forgiving about that. I think Jeremy uh, something. Yeah. Yeah, to bring it back just for a second for ventilators. So the, the next picture I just posted, this is an open source project coming out of uh, out of Oxford. This is a uh, $1,000 ventilator. And the way this, the, the plan for this um, piece of equipment is the hospital will place an order. And then essentially what they do is they ship you the parts and you have to manufacture it on site. Um, sounds daunting. It's really not. Um, it comes with, a, it's like putting together uh, or even easier than putting together IKEA furniture. Um, so this is um, really on the cusp of passing clinical trials. And if you want to learn more about this awesome piece of equipment, it is called Oxvent. O X V E N T. So if, if you really want to, if you want to keep a close eye on uh, some medical developments that uh, could really change the course of this pandemic, uh, keep an eye on Project Oxvent. And uh, keep an eye on those plastic respirators uh, made by uh, Vortran. That's V-O-R-T-R-A-N. I think it's also important to recognize, too, that it's not just America that's going through a ventilator shortage as well. It is a global shortage. Uh, Zach has something to interject. But before we move on to Zach, could I just ask you real quickly, Jeremy, do you know when these devices might be passing these critical trials? So Vortran has been on the market for a few years now. That's nothing new. Um, they just kind of, kind of failed to gain traction um, because of, well, <laughs> you can't make a whole lot of money off of a $100 ventilator. Um, the Oxford one, uh, the, the story I found was posted on March 30th. 
Uh, I'll post a link to that story in, in the chat right now. But uh, that is about all the information I have. All right, cool. We'll check that out. Uh, Zach. So the reason why we don't have these ventilators already is because of a failure at the federal level. All right. It's not the company's fault that they can't make money off of these products and therefore we don't have them. You know, every transaction has a buyer and a seller. So the real problem is, is that the federal government hasn't been willing to pay these companies at a rate that makes it worth it for them to produce these products. That $100 ventilator, they should be paying whoever wants to make these ventilators a juicy profit on top of that. And then let every single company in the U.S., whether you're talking about Ford or Roku or NVIDIA, whoever thinks they have the capabilities of producing that ventilator, let them have at it and 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 go for it. And if we need... I'm just throwing a number out there. If we need 20 million ventilators, I mean, that's that's a ton. But if we need a ton of ventilators, let, you know, whoever can produce, let them all produce them and, you know, pay them well. And we'll just worry about the money afterwards. You know, could that's you, could, the problem, I think. Um. Yeah. Could you, if you can, could you elaborate on what failed at the federal level, what's supposed to happen, what could have happened, what is happening yeah. instead? So instead of the federal government uh, stepping in and paying for the equipment, uh, Trump is kind of letting all the states bid against each other. So, you know, Andrew Cuomo is basically in a bidding war against the governor of Ohio um, for the same ventilators. And, you know, that creates a situation where there's competition in the market. You have a ton of buyers and not a lot of producers. So when you have that situation, prices get bid up. It's just like the stock market. When you have a, a, a lot of buyers on one side and not a lot of sellers, the price of the asset goes up. So in times of crisis, it really should be the federal government stepping in and saying, OK, we're going to be the buyer. The states don't have to worry about that. Um, we'll just distribute the equipment to you, but there's one buyer. We're going to pay the companies a good price to make it worthwhile to produce these these products, and there won't be a bidding war. You know, I mean, you might the only bidding there might be maybe against other countries, but there shouldn't be internal bidding within the U.S. between states. It's so baked into our process, though. We must have a bidding war. Anytime we have a government contract for anything, no matter no matter what, so like it's it's what we're seeing right now that it's just not being subverted to save lives. All I know is that that article that I read in Jacobin was pretty indicting and damning, and um, I wanted to try to get a neutral perspective and and research. But like I said, these, these guys that write for Jacobin, whether or not you agree with their political position or not. These are guys that don't bring a stick to a gunfight when they bring data and have proof. And um, I looked into what the entire thing was that, Mer that that Cuomo was responsible for pushing forward that actually helped exacerbate a problem that, the, yes, that you're right, the federal government did not help. But, you know, uh, Cuomo's not this, uh, he's, he's not this hero either. Um, I, I no, I mean, there's a human instinct to sort of like lionize the leader in times of crisis. And that's all that's happening. You know, I really wouldn't make a, a sensational issue of it. No, but, you know, it's like 
there was a, there was a, you know, an advocacy group called the um, uh, make billionaires pay, or they were rallying around that agenda uh, of 14 different measures to tax, uh, you know, billionaires, wealth, uh, stock buybacks, stock transfers, yachts, and private jets. Right. And just passing one or two of those measures would have immediately closed the budget gap and, and, you know, closed that shortfall. And instead, Andrew Cuomo opted for for cutting, you know, like these programs have been cut for decades to the point where our social safety nets are a joke and don't work, right? And this was something that could have been passed that would have helped that, you know, and it's something that the majority of New York, New York voters, 90% of New York voters, including 87% of Republicans and 91% of suburban and upstate voters supported you know, uh, to do that instead of cutting, you know, services for those who are the most vulnerable and in need. And, you know, it just, you have to start really asking a lot of questions of what kind of society do you really want to live in? You want to live in a society where it's okay to use the poor as human shields? I'm not okay with that. You guys are are familiar with the concept of human shields, right? You know what I'm talking about? It reminds me of that uh, South Park episode where, like, they they wanted to, like, um, like Canada and America were having a war. And they said, like, okay, all the black people will go first. It's Operation Human Shield. And then, like, like they tied people, like, onto tanks and stuff. And then, and then Chef was like, Operation Human Shield, my ass. And they all ran in the opposite direction. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, just, it's not smart to to it's not nice to do stuff like that no yeah that's an understatement it's pretty sick yeah yeah and i would just like everybody to you know and i'm going to read this quote from from the article take a minute to appreciate just how cruel the course is that cuomo is taking it would mean ramming through 2.5 billion in cuts to the healthcare system that millions of the hardest-hit New Yorkers are relying on to get them through the world's worst healthcare crisis in a century, while simultaneously depriving the same system of $7 million in federal aid. Now, you you really have to question, when, when, when elected officials do stuff like that, it's important to grill them and hold their feet to the fire. If you care about human rights. Yeah, I think uh, perhaps the, the Trump administration just outlefted uh, <laughs> Andrew Cuomo and the Democratic establishment. By I mean, if, if he if he really means what he said earlier uh, yesterday in the, in the press briefing that all coronavirus testing and treatment will be covered by the federal government. You know, he doesn't have, ever mean what he says, though. But, but, hey, I'm not I'm not I'm not trusting him. I'm just saying yeah, if, if it actually goes uh, through. I mean, we'll just look at his record. When's the last time you heard what he well, said? I think it was signed into law. I think it was a part of the bill that passed. So, so, so to say it was part of the bill that passed, we have to look at the real language of the bill, don't we? Yep. So, so do we know the specifics there, Zach? Jacqueline, anybody know more than I do here? Uh, I'll try to find it right now. I'm trying to, to dig it up. I have like 106 tabs open on my Google. <laughs> <coughs> Yeah, me too. It's uh, I, just by the way, I posted a link to that article that Jacqueline was talking about in uh, in the chat there. 
Thank you. Oh, yes, that's it. Even in a pandemic, Andrew Cuomo is not your friend. Jacobin May. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like I said, there's a human instinct to gather around lionize the leader rally. And he has been performing his duties during a crisis. You know, I mean, he, I, I he's, thought he's doing it. But yeah, no, he, 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 but, but, uh, but prior to the crisis, he has, you know, he's, he, he set up a neoliberal austerity based budget and he was a, He's, I mean, he's still a villain, <laughs> but uh, he's... Austerity is murder. He's not the and, governor of Florida. What can I say? And by the way, Steve Grumbine lifted that. <laughs> because I'm the one who said poverty is economic terrorism and austerity is murder. So our friend, our anti-UBI <coughs> friend, Steve Grumbine of Real Progressives, he kind of lifted that from me, just FYI. Can you remind us who Steve Grumbine is? Uh, he uh, had this um, YouTube channel and this... Nonprofit called Real Progressives, except now I think he changed the name to Real Progress US because I've been calling him out for his uh, war against UBI advocates and specifically against um, Andrew Yang and Scott Santons. I mean, he really had a hard on against Scott. I don't know what the deal with that is, but um, um, you know, he had, I had written very, very, very good articles on neoliberalism. Uh, that actually helped his site. And uh, then I find out he's a jerk who's like saying poor people don't need money after he himself had a GoFundMe that netted him over 40000 when he was unemployed for 18 months after the crash of 08. And saying that, you know, the, the, the reason he opposed UBI is because it would cost the, cause the price of Xboxes to go up through the roof. I didn't know what an Xbox was, okay? I had to Google that. And I just thought, you know, what a, what a disgusting human being that you know you're so worried that a poor person who never got to have anything before might use one of their ubi checks to buy themselves one middle class or rich person's toy and you're going to obsess about that and say that's a reason to deny everybody a ubi that's so if, the, if, if the market corrects to make luxuries uh more expensive and staples more affordable i don't really think that a conservative should really be opposed to that ideologically right uh. <laughs> Well, he, he's, well, he's not, not a conservative. That's the thing. He's not a conservative, or at least he's... I mean, I don't know. Zach, I don't know. He might be the most conserv- the most self-identifying conservative in the in the room here, so to speak. I mean, am, am, I, am I off here and ideologically? To be completely honest with you, I was <laughs> reading this article about the uh, about the bill that passed trying to find the answer about right, whether so, um, it's... That's okay. Zach. Paid for. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Got so me some... the one moment I was tuned out. <laughs> Jack, Jack, just... Jacqueline's talking about a conservative YouTuber who's opposed to basic income because no, like... no, you got it wrong, Shia. Oh, was it? He's not conservative. <laughs> oh, okay. He's a Bernie bro, quote unquote, real progressive. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, that's um very strange. The poor don't need money; they need goods and services. Mm. So this is a very misguided individual. I don't know what to say. This is just a right. delusional person who no, doesn't know what I, poverty is like. It's funny because I remember because Steve Grumbine is a modern monetary theory guy. Oh, so okay. Sorry, ba- yeah, that's Bernie. Back okay. in the day when, um, when like, like, like when when I when you're looking for a job or you just you know got let go from a job that you really liked, it's really really painful. And, you know, back then you're still under the illusion 
because because you don't want to see people like do nothing and get money and it's like you you it's it's like oh but like you know we have this thing that we want to work so he he was really depressed for a while when he couldn't get any work when he was laid off but then then you 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 finally mature and you realize this workfare stuff is bs because like i thought i thought like i just want work because work is going to give me like meaning but then when i actually worked and it didn't give me any meaning at all and i felt that it was like boring and stupid and like like it wasn't challenging me then i'm like screw screw like only work is is a way to like a means of survival you don't need work you need purpose you need to feel something you need to feel like your life is going somewhere you and things are um, improving you need an in, a stable income it, because you know what you can be too poor to be able to get a job exactly if you don't have a car, if you don't have a car and and you're you know especially living in an area that doesn't have public transportation and you don't have money for the proper clothing or any of this other stuff or dental care or whatever, you know, to be able to get, you know, a job. Yeah, you can be too poor to get a job. I mean, you have to have a minimum degree of stability. And quite frankly, at my age, I know I don't stand a snowball's chance in hell of getting a job because I'm over 50, I'm diabetic, and I have Crohn's disease. I'm medically disabled, even though I'm not getting a, a lick of help from our wonderful so-called safety net. And when I did all this free work, putting together all this all this stuff that I backed up, because I don't bring a stick to a gunfight when I write an article. I cite chapter and verse with verifiable proof, okay? And I got treated with better respect by right-wingers for those articles than I did from this guy, uh, Grumbine's group. And that really, that, that was like, whoa, wait a minute, do they know I'm a lefty chick? You know, because I was a real diehard hardcore leftist, you know. Why don't you invite someone from Grumbine's group on to debate us? They won't. <laughs> they won't come. Why not? Be- because <laughs> they they think it's beneath them that we're all a bunch of, and I'm, I'm quoting Steve Grumbine himself, that we're all a bunch of economic illiterates. All of us who are UBI supporters, we're all economic illiterates, and Scott Santons is a snake oil salesman, and Andrew Yang is a snake oil salesman who is trying to push through a Trojan horse. I mean, they, they will not have an honest conversation look, with you. Look I bet at one of them will. Uh, and Kasparian's tweet, in fact. I, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I've had, before I burned my commie card, I was never treated disrespectfully by guys that were really hardcore on the right. They may not have agreed with me politically, but I was never disrespected. I was, however, disrespected by this grumbine jerk. And well, that, that doesn't mean that you've been disrespected by, like, every Bernie supporter. You know, it's a big no, coalition but, but, with a lot of sub-coalitions. But and lot, some of them seem to be stupid PMCs right now, you know? <laughs> but a lot of them, you know, a lot of them have been. And, and, and it's especially prevalent and problematic in the MMT crowd for some weird reason. And I don't know why, but it just happens to be that particular subset. Uh, and they're a sizable subset, by the way, that this was a problem. So, anyway, getting back to what I was saying, this problem with Cuomo and what he did is, you know, neoliberalism, it's austerity, and this, this is what kills. And there's a lot of blame to go around, but the thing is, is that, that nobody in, in elected official capacity that has the power 
of the pulpit is solving the freaking problem. Uh, Zach has something to say. So, yeah, regarding the, um, I don't know if you want to call them far left or communists or democratic socialists, the Bernie crowd, you know, they see themselves as part of a revolution. You know, they're a revolutionary movement. Um, and one of the characteristics of revolutionary movements is they tend to they tend to see the world in terms of us versus them. You know, if you're not with them, you're against them and you're a counter revolutionary at that point. You could be wanting to solve the same underlying problems, but if you're not with them, then you're an enemy of the the revolution. And therefore, you know, you're almost more dangerous than the people who are overtly against the movement. You know, Um, I, I mean, I mean, the the Jacobin magazine that you're talking about, you know, that was named after a faction that was around during the French Revolution. And they were kind of at war with all the other different revolutionary movements within revolutionary France at that time. And, you know, other there were other groups that also were on the left. They didn't like the monarchy. They wanted change. But eventually what happened was the Jacobins started cutting everybody's heads off because they didn't want any opposition to what their view, their narrow view of what the country should look like. Um, so, and how'd that work out for the Jacobin? How'd that work out ultimately? Uh, not good. I mean, it ended up with, they ended up having, uh, with Napoleon and, uh, right. you know, decades of war well, I think that, and, so that's not the revel, that's not the revolutionary faction that we want to be. We no, have to be the no, tolerant no, faction, not. you know? I want to prevent and, and a revolution. If, if another faction is is reactionary to us, we can't return that same reactionary dismissal or demonizing or villainizing. Or be like, okay, um, I get you feel threatened by me. Let me show you how I'm not. I'm not actually your enemy, yeah. and how I, I've got to win your trust because I need your help because I can't do this alone. We really have to build bridges. Mm-hmm. We really have to start absorbing these slings and arrows, being the bigger person just not letting our egos get in the way and be like okay just yeah. logistically what yeah. can i do to connect with the different goals and of this other person who is also an enemy of of the oppressors that we share you you know and and something to think about is that jacqueline talked about a job sometimes a job can cost you more than the money you make from it in like terms of like your the education you have to get from it and the, I mean, for it and the clothes you have to wear or the technology oh, you car, have to buy. Car payments. So, so, so you're, you're like within the first few months, you could be in the red uh, um, before you even get in the green of like having that. And, and let's say you, you train for a job with the education and the clothes and the technology and then you get it. But then like a month later – they just say, oh, you know what, like, we decide we don't need you anymore. We can just, like, lay you off right now. And I know you only work for, like, three weeks. You're you're in the red instead of, instead of like, getting something. So this is something that some, some people are, they're so ignorant, they can't understand this. Well, you know, the thing is, is, is that, you know, I, you know, you, you're asking about building bridges, Shale. Sometimes, some people you're just not going to be able to get through to. And I hate to say it, I hate to admit it, but there was a time when I was a very diehard militant, militant, as in more militant than Steve Grumbine, 
And what it took for me to open my eyes and have a what the fuck moment, well, it, it took, you know, being exposed to the fact that the people that were, that had credence, that had, uh, you know, that, that were, that were top level, you know, people in Bernie's campaign, like Stephanie Kelton, committed academic fraud and was a liar. That was the first thing. And the, the other things were how I saw my quote unquote comrades treating other poor people that were just as poor and some even poor, some that were homeless who were supporting Andrew Yang. And I thought, wait a minute, what, what, you know, uh, I'm batting on the wrong team here because what I cared about was, you know, help for the poor and the poor not suffering and dying and being treated like shit by everybody else in the interim. And that's when I had to force myself to really self-examine and ask myself, gee, Jacqueline, what do you really, what do you really believe in? Is this who you are? And the answer was no, it's not what I am. So now I reject any label and I, it's like, no, I, I just, I want the problem solved, you know, of, right. uh, of helping, of properly helping the poor by not yeah. with paternalistic programs that keep people poor or like in the case of food stamps that you can't use during a pandemic when you're under quarantine because Instacart doesn't accept them and you don't have a car or anybody to go to the store for you. We, we know we, we all prefer UBI. To welfare, we all know yeah. there's no need to tout the virtues of it. We're right. all in complete, but, but in agreement, like, and so is all of our audience. But listen, I think you've made the mistake uh, of conflating the moral tenor of individuals with with like an ideology. You're saying that these people acted badly, and so I changed my ideology. And to me, that doesn't track. No, 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 wait! You're things. not letting me finish, Shale. Okay. All right. <laughs> First of all, I had spent a lot of years, okay, with this crowd. And when I saw, it, it's not just a couple of one-offs here we're talking about. I know. It's a sizable chunk. I understand. Of people who all claimed this, who all claimed to to be progressives, okay, who were just uh, outright shitty mm-hmm. towards the, the, the poorest of the poor. Yeah, and, and that's that, that's not excusable. That's and not, it's and like, I guess a know, good reason to leave that group, but it's and, not an actual wait, reflection wait on ideology. I'm not finished, Shale. Yeah, go Bernie, ahead. Bernie Sanders himself used exclusionary language every time he used working people rhetoric. That rhetoric, workers, working people, as in unpaid caregivers aren't worthy of being economically supported. What they're doing isn't work, even though our whole system wouldn't be able to exist without that. Number two, don't, totally dismissing uh, former workers who've been pushed out of the economy through no fault of their own, often due to age or disabilities, okay? And the, the fact that his language was deliberately and pointedly excluding so many, okay? And it was all working people, working people. It's like the only people that deserve to survive are people that are abled and have jobs and haven't been pushed out of the economy. And that is the problem. You know, it's not just, you know, a couple of one-offs or a couple of jerks in a group. It doesn't matter if it happened a hundred times. Every piece of evidence you're introducing, and I understand what you're saying, every piece of evidence you're introducing has the same logic flaw. It's not ideological. And you're saying you're ashamed for burning your commie card. Like, this is an actual reflection of communism. It is not a reflection of socialism or communism. This is a reflection of a social problem in a modern coalition of one particular social Democrats, you know? 
Can I, can I jump in here for a sec? I, I would say that it is kind of a part of the ideology. You know, everything, when when Bernie uses that language. So workers, hold on. That's the ideology of, of this coalition, but it is not the ideology of like actual Marxism. It's not what they're even talking about. It's so far I removed. Think it, I think so it is. So when you say you burned your commie card and you're like embarrassed. Hold up, hold like up, Shale. Hold you know what Marx right. referred to the jobless poor as? I'm not lumpen, even a Marxist. I'm just, I just feel like there's like a logic lumpen, error. Lumpen proletariat. Yeah. Lumpen I know. proletariat. I am aware of that. And yes. you know, lumpen, his, he was not very kind in his treatment of the lumpen proletariat. Yes. Do you, why do you think I don't know that? <laughs> I just recognize the logic. I'm not being, I'm not inserting my own bias here, but I'm trying to show you that there's like a, I mean, we're all biased, but I'm not trying to assert my own bias. I'm just saying, I think something there's like a logical disconnect here, but anyway, maybe it's just semantics. Probably, probably spinning our wheels here on this. Anyway, Zach, please go on. Sorry, I, I feel bad. I interrupted Zach. Zach was saying something. I'm sorry, Zach. I, I apologize. Yeah, no, no problem. No, um, I just, I'm just making the I'm argument. Just bringing it up. Sorry, I only brought it up because it keeps coming up. I feel like I want to like solve it so we don't keep revisiting <laughs> it. But go on, Zach. Well, I was going to make a point uh, on that point you know i don't have to if you want to move on to something else too we can just end it here i'm fine with that no zach please make your point i was just going to make the argument that i do think it is kind of a part of the ideology you know before i was kind of talking about the revolutionaries and the counter-revolutionaries but even within if you read the communist manifesto um you know he refers to workers over and over again in that, in that book, you know, workers of the world unite. So that language talking specifically aimed at workers specifically, that comes from the communist manifesto and the people who other people who did care about workers in those days, um, but didn't necessarily align with, with Marx politically. He had another term for those people that was kind of dismissive of their intentions, the petty bourgeois, you know? So, I mean, this is an ideology who that from its core, its author um, kind of demonized other groups, uh, whether they be the, the homeless or the, uh, uh, you know, people who wanted to reform the existing system, not crash it completely. Um, it was a combative moment of movement, I think, from the beginning. I mean, he was calling for revolution, <laughs> you know. Yes. So it's a, a combative movement for sure. I mean, it's, it's a right. Workers the of the world the, you know, unite, a, overthrow yes. your overthrow the uh, the foreman in the factory. Yes, is. You know, take it over, use arms, use violence. But um, like, don't just but, kill the czar, kill his uh, kids too. I mean, Jaglin, not to get I don't know. I didn't mean to get all heated, but like, like we're not identitarians here. So that's so, and I think part of that is like not having a chip on our shoulder for another ideology, except the one that's actually oppressing us, which is, you know, neoliberalism, neoconservatism. That's, that's real. That's the real enemy. But if we're not identitarians, then like, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's counterproductive to sit here and rag on people who we just need to get to our side. How can we get them to our side instead of just dismissing them and saying, oh, you're wrong? Cause yeah. Yeah, they're they're wrong to us. We don't agree with them, but we've got to figure out a way to work together against our common foes, you know. And that's the productive conversation, I think. And I don't know how well, to have it. You know what? I'm I'm sorry, Shale, but I can't give you an idea on how to do that. All I know is that if you want to try, if you want to try, be my guest. I think we have no choice but to try. Well, yeah. the 
but don't be disappointed. Don't be disappointed. Yeah, we can. I mean, we got to figure out what we're doing wrong when it doesn't work out. How do you know it's us? How do you know it's us that are doing something wrong? There are two people. There are two parties involved trying to do this lift. And the amount of energy we need to exert is the difference between how much they're willing to exert and how much we are. So the less they are willing to exert, the more we have to. It's just what has to happen. Yeah, Shell, you're right. I, you know, it takes two to tango. And um, there is a way to court these uh, these people into our camp, you know. And it's just about finding the right approach. Right. You know, I, there are, you know I, I was just a little bit critical of Marx, but... There's a lot of good things I could say yeah. about him. Nothing and, wrong with being critical. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Ideology. Well, um, you know, if I, I may say something here. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. The, well, the good news is, is that, like, you see people, people, like, I, I used to be on the opposite side of where Jacqueline was, where, like, you know, my dad would see a person, like, struggling on the street. And then when he would ask for money, like, he'd say, like, oh, like, these people are just going to spend it on, like, booze and drugs and like you know do these things with it and like they 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 you know these these people don't want to work but then when like i i I had that ideology like yeah like people shouldn't just get money without you know having having to like do anything for it like you got to earn it but then later uh when i got older and i saw like look at me like i can't come from a relatively like well-to-do family with well-to-do education and you know all these things of a middle-class life and here i am struggling to get very basic work so i i had like an epiphany after that and then after i listened to andrew yang i came out of so many of these like libertarian and right-wing kind of ideologies when when I when I find found out all the stuff that the Koch brothers are doing and you know you know all these companies taking advantage of people and all this BS, so I think that this this UBI idea and this movement has the best chance of bringing everybody together. You know, so I just I I just came from the opposite sides of where Jacqueline was, and I think that's important to know. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, one of the things that was heartbreaking for me, it had me so upset, and that's why my nerves are a bit raw today, guys. So please, Shale, forgive me if I'm being more terse and brusque and abrupt. I can handle it. Than I normally am. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying to not be that way, but it was very heartbreaking for me to read threads on Twitter, and I probably shouldn't have. I probably should have just unplugged from the internet altogether. Uh, but reading threads on Twitter where there were people attacking Yang supporters and saying, you know, attacking us that because Andrew Yang supported Biden and not Bernie and how we are basically, you know, unforgivable, unforgivable pieces of shit for that. Somehow. I mean, what I do when I see that is like, I interject and go, Hey, I also, don't think that Yang should have uh, supported Biden. But here, you know, uh, at basic income is a great idea for all these reasons. For you specifically, you work-focused people, it's a built-in strike fund. How about that? You know, you argue to the audience, you catch more flies with honey, and there's just nothing to be gained by deriding people. Even if they're making us feel bad, even if they're talking shit, you just got to 
correct the ignorance and not react with the same anger that they give us because that's going to tear us apart and let the rich kill us. I just, I don't have the emotional capital to put, you know, to see. I absolutely respect that. I, I have, you know, I've been there myself many times. It takes a huge, yeah. huge energy tool. I'm too but old it's like, this fucking shit and I'm trying to take do. care I respect of my husband. I respect it, yeah. And, you know, my health is very frail and I'm literally, you know, struggling just to not die from poverty in the living conditions that I have. So the emotional capital is non-existent right there for any kind of assholiness from anybody. It's just not. And I'm too old for that shit. Well, at least you can come here and recharge, you know. And Yeah. I mean, this is like an oasis. You know, it's good to get, your, pers- it's good to get your perspective, too. The idea is to be all different perspectives. So I'm glad right. that we've got yours. So, you know? so the, the thing that we can learn is that when 2024 comes around, but hopefully we'll have a few UBI caucus candidates in, not to cannibalize on people who are you know, coming from a place of wanting to solve problems and getting solutions. Because let's say say that Yang does run in 2024, and there's another up-and-coming candidate who somehow, I can't see how, has even better ideas than he does. And is even, you know, let's just say hypothetically, we're not going to cannibalize them and and say like hey you're taking the spotlight away he was supposed to win in 2020 what are you doing you know like like just have an open mind oh yeah no doubt i I think uh i mean we'll see how uh the 2020 uh and 2022 uh general elections go but i mean we the ubi movement you know definitely have a future with folks like you know uh uh uh, what's his name Uh, james felton keith um michael bro here I mean, these yeah. are people that could definitely one day be president. It's it's not outside the imagination. I think Andrew Yang could be president too. I I think there's people in this podcast that would be a good president. <laughs> I, right. I, I think uh, the, the movement doesn't live on making a run. I I think Ariel would make do it. Why don't? What are you going to run for? Thanks. No, I'd I'd run for president. I mean, I I wouldn't be like start president. You know what? I I wouldn't. I advise that we start the ground level. Right. It <laughs> doesn't matter, but, but I think Yang was, was really missing, like, throwing a punch. And I could throw, like, on the debate stage, I would throw so many punches. So many punches. And I'd be <laughs> happy enough to get the counterattack. Because, I, because that's what it's for. What? You know, like, start by running for, like, city council. Start debating there. See if okay. you can move up. <laughs> but but no, the, the problem I mean, no, is, is like that you can run for president and make and make a show of it. But you might actually win city council, you know. Uh, but I but I need to have some kind of capital if I if I want to do that. So uh, I'd open up a donation link um, if if that. And I mean I I do because I I I always thought I had like amazing ideas and innovative and creative ways of thinking that were always being overlooked by the idiot system of like boring people who never wanted to think outside the box or be a little creative and interesting, always wanted to go with this boring, slow, bureaucratic process. And I was always the one I wanted to take a sledgehammer to that and smash it into pieces. So have you, I mean, how about Alderman? You consider running for your, for Alderman? Running what? Alderman. Alderman? Yeah. What's that? It is, to my knowledge, one of, if not the, most like modest uh, city level elected positions. And I believe it deals with, um, God, how do I? Kind of like a magistrate. 
Mm. It's like it's like a block, a block cap. You're like the advocate for your block to the uh, mm. like the mayor and the city council. You're like, hey, my block needs a stop sign, or like my people have the water mm. shut off, or something like that. It's like the entry level electoral position, and almost mm. nobody. It's, it's it's very easy to win. Usually, you go get a couple of signatures, and it's like, oh, it's really? a place to start. And then you're no, no longer a political hobbyist. You've got your foot in the proverbial door. I don't know. Oh. I, I wish oh. that I, I wish that I uh, could have expounded. Uh, from a more knowledgeable place on what exactly an alderman really is, but huh. uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. If we, I've, I've never heard of that, but um, I don't even know if we have that here. But I'll take a look into it. <laughs> alderman of L.A. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> do it. But I'm definitely oh, not shocked. in L.A. Man, that's gonna be like maybe that's gonna be different there. I don't know. Maybe the alderman's yeah. actually contested. I'd actually <laughs> consider running for office if I had a car. And my living conditions were more stable economically. Um, but, see, I don't have the temperament to put up with bullshit. Um, and politics is a lot of kissing ass. Mm. And it, it's like, nope, I've already paid far more than my fair share dues and got nothing but shit and shoved in it by this society. You know, my tolerance is for that is zilch. However, I would be really, really good at policy advising, uh, you know, it's something like that, where I don't have to deal with the public, but I could support another individual who is running for office, uh, another pro-UBI person. Um, you know, I'd be really good with the with policy advising, I think. Well, one thing I'll say is uh, I think our own uh, Heidi Briones is running in Oregon as a UBI yeah. candidate, right? She's in one of the other roundtable mm-hmm. groups. And uh, she uh, was she's, she's not a regular, but she she did come on the show, and I hope she she'll did. be on again. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, last night I was watching her on the Zach and Matt show. Um, I didn't get to finish it. Uh, I got like three quarters of the way through, and then I had to do something. But uh, I intend on finishing it tonight. And she is uh, very interesting. I definitely encourage everyone to check her out on the Zach and Matt show. I like Heidi. I like Heidi. Uh, yeah. And and that's the thing we got going for us. Like Yang Gang has the most likable people ever. Like with no skeletons in their closets. And they're just like human and not robots and not like corrupt pieces of trash, pieces of shit, you know, like <laughs> Yeah. I, I always tell people, you know, you really want to look at, at, at real diversity, look at Yang Gang. Because there's a bunch of us that are all from across the entire political map, from different social classes. Walks of life. But we all have, you know, some common ground here uh, that's, you know, our our line in the sand, so to speak. And that is, you know, human-centered, a a system that is human-centered, human rights-centered, and that, you know, is is UBI. Right. You know? Yeah. it, it's just so I I think that that you know that 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 you want to look at diversity yeah look look at those of us who are Yang Gang right it's, you know it's funny I I posted a meme of this astronaut on the moon looking at Earth and then an asteroid comes and like smashes into Earth and the astronaut goes oh no the economy and then when I posted <laughs> yeah, that what. One one of my one of my um you know a, a diehard conservative friends is like well yeah he's right without the economy he can't get his supplies 
to come and help him. Um, <laughs> I swear. Well, here's here's the thing. You know, if if the government wouldn't have screwed the pooch with helping the people immediately, you know, with as much speed and alacrity as they put forward in, you know, making sure the bigger fish got bailed out, so to speak. And if they would have put forth that same alacrity and lack of conditions for getting money directly to individuals, to, to the people, okay, our, re, our, our um, crash, our economy wouldn't have been as severe and our recovery would be happening a lot quicker. We'd be looking at more of a V-shaped recovery than a U or, God forbid, an L-shaped and when I'm saying U and L, I'm talking about, you know, if you look at the recovery on a graph, if you look at the at the economy on a graph, okay? The Great Depression was, you know, almost L-shaped. It took 16 years to recover from that. And this situation is predicted to be, you know, the, 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 the toll, uh, the economic toll on the micro as well as the macro is expected to dwarf that of what happened with the Great Depression. And it's just a whole lot of ball dropping and pooch screwing all over the place. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know how um, people are just keep voting for these crap, these, these, these filth pieces of garbage shit. I mean, like, it's, it's, it, it like, amazes me. I never voted for these people. I was born... When they already had all the power, name recognition. Never in a million years would I think about having such garbage, corrupt, nonsense leaders as people. Ugh, it's ridiculous. Well, like I said, you know, this goes back to what I said before: is that the the reason we have assholes in the government that don't give a shit about helping the people is, you know, we have a shitty society that doesn't give a shit about helping other people. You know, let's face it. I mean, let's let's be honest here. You know, the people that get elected to government are products of the same society that, you know, that, that we're products of, that we're trying to change. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it feels like we're screaming into the void and not being heard. Yeah. But like the, when Yang, um, you know, when, when, the first time I went to Yang's rally and one of his things was like the first time I felt somebody finally gets it. Somebody's finally trying to do something. So go ahead, Jeremy. Just wanted to get that out there. Oh, oh no, I, I think uh, Jacqueline does uh, touch on a, an important subject of, uh, yeah, if Americans really gave a fuck about each other, uh, we probably wouldn't have 300,000 confirmed cases of uh, coronavirus right now. And then you have the daunting task of making Americans give a fuck about each other. And how does one begin to approach that? We're talking yeah, about undoing, I... undoing, you know, uh, massive programming that was done to the public in an Edward Bernays style craptastic PR campaign that was waged for the better part of half a century. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think the problem is that people don't care about each other. I think it's just that we have different um ideas on how best to help people. You know, like the camp that 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 is usually against the welfare system and uh you know there's this idea in america that you know you should you know pick yourself up from your own bootstraps uh and what and whatnot 
Um, I think in a lot of cases that kind of holds true where when you are giving a handout to people, um, I think a lot of times it, it does end up creating a, a situation where people become dependent on the state and whatnot. And so there's a lot of, uh, I'm not explaining, I'm not explaining this right, but um, I think the resistance right. to UBI, I think it's a fallacy to say that if you're against UBI, you don't care for people. And I think we got to be careful not to go in that direction and take that on that kind of argument. I think well, a lot yeah, of people that I, I, I oppose agree. UBI, I think they do care about people. It's just they have a, a, a different uh, They've been propagandized. on how Maybe. to, yeah. how to well, best the problem, help people. The problem that I have uh, with I mean, the bootstrap crowd is that they're not willing to, they're not willing to cede to the fact that privilege occupies a space where somebody else's human rights belong. And that in the type of system, economic system that we have, there's only so many spaces in the middle class. There's only so many spaces up at the top for the rich. That means there's a whole hell of a lot of people that no matter what they do, and no matter how hard they try or for how many years of their life, they keep trying. And God knows I've tried a lot harder for a hell of a lot longer than most can even think about. Okay? Only to get nothing for all my efforts except shit and shoved in it. All right? And what people need to understand, the bootstrap crowd needs to understand is that as long as you've got a certain percentage of people that are going to be excluded and left out with you know against their will you know okay that you know you're you're going to have people that aren't going to be able to just work their way up out of poverty or bootstrap their way up out of poverty right and then by the time you get to be 50 and you have health problems it's too fucking late and then what do you tell people who once they've hit 50 after they got nothing down their whole life no matter how hard they tried oh they oh. should keep trying harder well, you know give me a break i think i i think that bootstrap mentality actually uh goes hand in hand with ubi you know i think ubi is a tool to allow people to pick themselves up from their own bootstrap you know as opposed to yeah it would be the handout welfare system which we all agree doesn't U work ubi well. provides the boots so that you can have boots to pull yourself up by bootstraps with in the first place. Right. So I think talk the, about right. that, uh, that accusation you brought up, Zach, where we could reductionistly say, if you don't support UBI, you don't care about people. I mean, that feels good. And it feels like a tight little uh, assault on somebody's character. We're like, aha, we got you, you know, but like whenever we put something like that together, what, it, what does it ever accomplish? Right. <laughs> you know, what does that ever convince anyone of? What is blaming the poor for their poverty ever accomplish? Right. Well, that you, has you accomplished, know, uh, you know, a, a terrible culture. Um, you, but anyway, you know, that's that's you know that's, a, that's, um, that's I, I really want to do a funny little social experiment. Like the the U the U S government should release uh, everybody who um, you know was eligible to get to get these rounds of stimulus checks. And then if they speak out against the universal basic income after the fact, it's like, well, then did you just like donate that money that you got directly to charity or say that you are opt out or, of it? Or to a you poor know. person that got excluded and left out from getting that? Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Did, did you at least give it to them? 
and let's see what they say. You know, you know, if if there's such you know thing, they they should like like how how many calls are there going to be to the IRS saying uh, I don't want this money, to take it take it back. I'm I'm a I'm a diehard you know conservative libertarian etc cetera, etc. Cetera. You better not give me this money. You better you got to take it away from me. You better you know let let's see. And if they don't do that, then um they're hypocrite asshole stupid sorry i'm they piss me off but yeah like then they're hypocrites i'll just say hypocrites that's it when i think of all the years that i struggled and tried and only just to end up in the shitty situation that i'm in it's like i feel like i got nothing but made a fool out of and i might as well i i that i was a fool for ever trying anything at all in my whole life and i think i have every right to be bitter and angry about it I deserved a hell of a lot better than what, you know, I got handed. Mm. Which was nothing giving, but one shit sandwich after another. I'm giving you a virtual hug. <laughs> the 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 thing the thing is, is Jacqueline though, but like, you know, you you've managed to pay off those property taxes. Yes, and I you did. know, just 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 like and, and I'm proud of you for that. And the thing is is and even if you didn't, like you still didn't you still don't deserve this. That's that's a hell hell for sure. I, I think I deserve better than to be unable to afford right. clothing for over ten years. I think I deserve yeah. better than to live in a house without heat and hot water with a roof right. fucking caving in where it rains upstairs and I have to have all my shit crammed into two downstairs rooms. Where I can't even take an online teaching job but, because but, I don't have the ability to set up a clutter-free space so that, you know, if a student looks at me through the camera or is listening to me, they're not distracted by the piles of clothing, shoes, books, and papers, and everything else. It's, you know, that I literally am surrounded by with just a one-foot path to get in and out of my desk. And, you know... um, uh, here's what, but it, but but you like they like said that this, they said these checks will be going out to the people who do get social security. So that that my that husband, can give you yes. some. My if, husband if, social security, hmm? but uh, yeah, I mean, here if, I did all these right things. They say to the poor, "Don't have kids, you can't afford." Well, I didn't. So now I've got no kid with a car and a job. They can help me get to the damn grocery store to a doctor appointment as a diabetic where I need ongoing monitoring for a chronic disease. You know, that's going that's taking 20 years off my life expectancy, you know, and if it's not bad enough, it's like as horrible and as difficult as my life's been getting slammed with 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 a diabetic diagnosis two years ago turned my whole world upside down where I can't even enjoy Something as simple as a as a treat that I'd occasionally buy from the supermarket because I can no longer have that thing. Okay, I can't even enjoy a fucking glazed donut. All right, you know, and that's on top of the stress of poverty and worrying about just affording any food at all. And you know, I never got to have you know a four hundred one k. I never got to have the opportunity to build anything up. My husband. You know what? We never disagreed on much in our marriage, but since I had no income and I'm basically being supported on his $1,000 a month Social Security, do you think um, he was going to let me just throw $50 a month into an index fund? He didn't trust the stock market. If it wasn't for somebody who was better off than me, who was who at least cared enough to help and say, here, it's not much, but I know you know how to trade. Here's 350 bucks. 
back in January, okay, if it wouldn't have been for that, you know, I wouldn't have been able to trade up and, and, and get the property taxes paid. Of course, it took everything, you know, that I made to do it, okay, but, you know, the result was now my husband, he, he doesn't trust the system. He doesn't trust the stock market. If Zach, you know, who was very knowledgeable at trading and investing were to try to talk to him, you know, Donnie would, you know, probably tune him out. But he saw me do it. And he lives with me and he saw me making these trades. He actually saw me and I was explaining to him while well, I had the Think or Swim platform up on the computer and I was explaining, you know, the, the, you know, why I would get in and get out on certain trades and how I would, uh, how I was using a modified trading strategy with options for a very volatile market where you normally don't day trade them, but sometimes you do, like when the market's very volatile and you have to get in and get out so you don't, you know, lose your ass, you know, because when you only have a little tiny bit of money to work with and you don't have an income, that's all you got. You got to protect your, your capital. And uh, I was explaining stuff to him, and he's he, now he's he's convinced. But if somebody else would have tried to explain that to him, he would have just written them off as blinded by their own privilege, as not having any situational awareness for any understanding for him as a low-income senior citizen. You know, it just wouldn't have gone over, you know. And it took that, and it took somebody else giving me a little bit of money to do that, to finally get him to say, okay, well, I, I trust my wife. I've seen her. I've seen her do it. Now I'm willing to say, okay, she can take $50 a month out of our social, except I can't because for two people, that's like trying to live 500 bucks a month per person with trying to afford food and our utilities and the property taxes on our rundown house. And we can't afford that on a thousand dollars a month for two people. Now, if we were each getting a thousand dollars a month income, that'd be a different story. But uh, we're not. I don't have any income, and you know, so there's that. But you have to have something. You have to have at least a seed, and that's what I had hoped. You know that this um, emergency uh, corona relief uh, bill was that that was called the emergency UBI would be that it wouldn't be with all these conditions, it would make it damn near impossible for some of the poorest people who need help the most to get anything. And sure enough, you know, our, you know, Congress people screwed the pooch and, you know, just. Jacqueline, have you ever, have you looked into uh, starting that trading channel at all? I, I know we talked about it. Uh, Yes, I did, but without any money now to trade with, I don't know if I can, how I could really do it, because I think people would want to see trades that I'm making. Well, I can't do that without any money. So if I can, if I get, if we get that 1200 you know. Well, you, could, you could still do a paper, do a, do a paper trade, you uh, know, and you'll at least show that you have, you know what you're talking about, you know, and I, I don't think. I, I don't know. I think. There's a tendency for people to say, well, if it's not your own money being put on the table and you're not showing us with, you know, your own money on the line, you know, and they, they tend not to give you as much credence. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. Does that make sense, guys? It does, but I think it's, it's still worth a shot. I don't see a, a reason why not to try. And then, you know, after you have idiots like Rick Santelli, 
who said, oh, we should just give everybody the coronavirus and get it over with so the economy heals. It just, oh, God. It's like when he said that, it's like, oh, shit, you know? Yeah, if, if, if we could talk about that for a while. If, uh, if you guys have been watching the White House press briefings, um, if, if you recall, um, shit, probably a little less than a week ago, Trump was uh, up on the podium saying, you know, uh, basically saying uh, that everybody should be saying thank you to the uh, the White House administration and uh, all the you know the work they're doing at the federal level, and then two days ago they come out and they they had that slideshow. <laughs> they show, hey, this is what it, what it looked like if we would have done nothing, and two million people would have died. And but instead, only a hundred to two hundred forty thousand are going to die. And you should be saying thank you that we're only allowing one hundred and twenty or one hundred twenty to two hundred forty thousand of you to die it's it was it, that was one of the most orwellian dystopian things i have ever witnessed in my fucking life yeah i mean that was just absolutely disgusting <laughs> and, and now they're backtracking on the uh the uh you know the, the cdc guidelines for wearing face masks i mean it, it's fucking unbelievable unbelievable like oh we didn't know face masks were going to work or do anything it, it, you, you look at you, you look at any scene coming out of any asian country and what do you see a hundred percent of the population are wearing masks. You don't see a single person out in public not wearing a mask. There's a fucking reason for it. Yeah, and if you notice, uh, the Czech Republic, the, the the nation of Czechoslovakia, the Czech Republic, um, they've been among the least impacted because they immediately put into action social distancing and wearing masks, wearing the N95 masks. Okay, and. You know, it's like here we have our experts telling people, oh, you don't need to wear those. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, okay, you people need to put down the fucking crack pipe because this is an illness that obviously does go airborne once somebody talks, coughs, sneezes, you know, and probably farts. Sometimes I, I just think, like, our country has become, like, a mental asylum. Like, yeah. I, I mean, we're living in a in in like a collective mental asylum. Some parts less asylumy than the other parts, but yeah, if the U.S. had something to be proud of, it would have been Andrew Yang being elected as president in 2020. That would yeah. like lift the curse of the asylum upon us. And but, then the other the other disgusting, heartbreaking thing that really bothered me, and it it really had me upset before we came onto the show today was that I, for the first time in my life, because I don't live in an area that has a lot of Asian Americans, and I made my first Asian American friends through becoming part of Yang Gang. And there are people that if I can ever get, you know, out of poverty and afford a car, I would love to go and visit and spend time with in person. These are people that I consider, you know, dear friends. And when I'm hearing from one of them who actually participates on the podcast, not on this show, but on another podcast, where she was talking about how she was afraid to go seek medical attention to get tested because she's Asian American and she's afraid for her small child being targeted for attacks by people because there are people attacking Asian Americans because you have assholes in government calling it the Chinese flu and, you know, you have all these attacks and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, you know, what, what, what kind of, what kind of society you know, do we live in that we go from, you know, everybody loving all over Andrew Yang's policies to people wanting to string up every last Asian American they see over this virus. When, by the way, Asian Americans are suffering too. 
Asians in other in, in Asian countries are suffering too. It's just it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, guys. Um so one thing I, I can say I wanna say about that. Um you know, a lot of these you know, I've seen some uh images online, videos circulating on Twitter of, you know, one in particular I'm thinking of of uh an Asian man getting beat up randomly. Um and it's horrible, all right. But I don't think that's a reflection of America as a whole. The vast majority of people not. here are not racists. We're not white supremacists. But I think the media has this tendency to yeah. paint the country as an overtly racist country. And I, I think it's unfortunate. And I think that there is a little yeah. bit of, a, of a, um, an agenda there, to well, be the media always has a tendency of uh expanding the like highlighting the worst instead of the best right why do you think we have donald trump as president as much as the as much as the media said that they're disgusted and appalled by everything that trump does and and i guess our our countries our countries i guess are like I'm not talking about the average American, you know, belonging in a mental asylum. Uh, no, they're 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 good, you know, good people. But our leadership and our press are absolute. Some of them are just absolute scum because it's like you say that you dislike Donald Trump so much, but guess what? You're the reason why he's president because you can't stop giving him the attention. It's like, let's say there are two kids. One of them is always behaving like a brat and crazy and nuts. And <laughs> there's one that behaves himself and is calm and is nice. The parents are giving way more attention to the bratty behavior and trying to appease them. And then the kid that's actually behaving and doing good things is neglected. The people who are behaving and being good people and being nice, they're always neglected. The ones who always misbehave and act rude and crazy and nuts, they're always the ones that are getting the attention. And that's why we're in the situation that we're in right now. Oh, that's true. But there's also a lot of crazies. Like, I mean, the conspiracy, the tinfoil hat crowd came out of the woodwork um, with that incident that just happened the other day where a train engineer deliberately tried to crash a train into a naval medical ship that was docked at port out in Los Angeles because he thought that this was, you know, proof that the government was out to kill us all with UN Agenda 21 depopulation agenda by deliberately spreading the virus because that medical ship was there. And thankfully nobody was hurt and, you know, the, the, the crash train didn't hit the ship, but... You know, we're talking about a 12,000-ton freight train barreling ass off the tracks. It could have been a lot worse. And that's just one person that we read about or hear about in the news. But how many others um, are, are also uh, on, on that vein, on that uh, mindset that, you know, live in our communities that, you know, they're unpredictable and you don't know what they're going to do or when. And it's scary. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think, you know, especially as the, the death count continues to rise, as the, you know, anxiety continues to mount on the minds of people. Like, you know, once we, we're, we're going to crash, we're going to cross 10,000 deaths, like really soon, in the next few days. 
And then what's it going to be like when we hit 20,000, 50,000, 75,000, 100,000, 150,000? Um, I mean, it's a shit's pretty wild right now. I can, I mean, I don't think, I don't think anybody is really even mentally prepared of how crazy it's going to be over the next month or so. And how rational can we really say most Americans are when we've seen people knocking disabled and elderly people down in the supermarket in order to grab the last loaf of bread and the last roll of toilet paper. I mean, the toilet paper hoarding, the toilet paper hoarding. Uh, I I mean, I I still can't wrap my head around that. All right. I've got Crohn's disease. I shit like a goose. I spend half my life on the toilet. My husband and I, with me having Crohn's, we go through one pack of those toilet papers from Sam's Club, it, it takes us about six, seven months to go through the whole thing. And I saw people loading up SUVs and 4 by 4 trucks with a year's worth of toilet paper. And I'm thinking, wait, what? You, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's like... <sighs> There's no rationality behind it. It's just... Yeah, how do you wrap your head around that? I, I can't... I just... I can't even. I have no words. <laughs> what do shows you, think you what their priorities are. <laughs> Zach, what do you? What's your take on this, Jeremy Shale? What do you? What, what do you guys think of all this, Ariel? Well, let's let's, 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 let's let's compare to other countries. I mean, did this happen in other countries? And to what degree did it? What? Let's let's look. Did this happen in Europe? Did this happen in Asia? Did it? Was there toilet paper hoarding? No. Uh, I know, uh, there w- definitely was in Australia. I'm not sure about uh, Europe. I'll try to find something right now. Okay. Australia, very much a free market, uh, capital-obsessed com- country like America. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah their, uh, their toilet paper shortage uh, be- began like a week or so before ours yeah. did. So let's look at the places where it didn't happen. What was different there? They're just smarter than us. <laughs> That's not really some something we can take anything valuable from let's look let's get more granular more specific okay. something a bit less vague and impressionistic i mean the one thing i'll say again is if there was better leadership from the top you know if the president was saying don't who are the toilet paper <laughs> i think what was the leadership like in those other countries zach let's think what was, what's the leadership like in in uh in china that that stopped the toilet paper hoarding. I know they have like more of a command market. Uh, was the leadership like in uh, France or Italy that stopped the, uh, the toilet paper hoarding? And, um, you know, in Italy and France, was there a command from on high or was it just a matter of them having a more humane, more decent, more civil culture? I don't even know. Do you guys know? Yeah, I, I do not know. Yeah, I, I think uh, those, you know, the, the places you just listed, I think they have... Uh more of a collective type society of where the people really do uh, kind of organically uh, come together much more easily than places like, you know, well, here in the United States, Australia, just, it's just something, you know, kind of just embedded in their culture of, uh, you know, we're all in this together type of mentality, which I think that's, you know, severely lacking in this nation. Yeah, yeah. I, I just and, I just and, looked real quick. It seems like Europe did have a problem with this too. I just saw okay. something about so Sweden, there you go. It's not Sweden. just us. The UK, yeah, the UK the actually, yeah. the UK actually started rationing toilet paper. Maybe that's something that we should have done here. You know, uh, it wasn't. Just- oh, 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 hey, uh, just real quick. Also, in Europe, they have bidets. Oh, yeah, yeah that's yep, a big that's difference too. Yeah. too. You think maybe changer, like actually. we'd start having them here now? Like we, there's no oh, reason we don't. <laughs> Dude, I bought one last year, 
It was like twenty five bucks on Amazon. It's like the they just make that goes sense. on to. Yeah. And oh my god, it's they're fucking awesome. They're fucking they just awesome. Makes sense. Yes. I mean, I I don't know. I I don't. I just was shocked. I thought of all the things, you know. With that. Yeah, um, uh, NPR's uh, marketplace had a had a good segment on it. Um, this is back when you know it was really getting off. Uh, they really like define um, scarcity economics. So it, even if there is a a perceived shortage of uh, I mean, it could be anything. Uh, it doesn't have to be you know exclusively toilet paper, but you know, in this instance, it was. If people perceive that there is a scarcity or a shortage of a certain product, whenever they do come across it, they'll buy in bulk or at least buy more than what they what they normally do. So I mean, so, so I, I think, uh, well, yeah, that's obviously what happened. I, I don't think there definitely wasn't a production issue. I'll opine a little bit. I mean, just on a real broad theoretical level, right? In a society where there's some modicum of equality, people are able to hold each other together, to hold each other accountable because they have leverage over each other. We rely on each other. We need each other. You can't just dismiss each other. We all have businesses that are interconnected or if not businesses, lives in some other way. Society works that way. But when you have extreme inequality, you have people who don't need each other, who can be disposable, at least in one direction, to one another. And then you have people who are like, yeah, I don't, I don't care if you have toilet paper and I'm taking all of it, you know? And then uh, there's this, this pervasive uh, uh, element of selfishness in the culture that gets celebrated by like reality TV and shit like that. And I don't know what to do. What a, what a garbage culture we have. It's, it is. And like, what do you do about, like, what do you do about your own garbage culture? <laughs> who knows? There's right. No well, we, we, we throw it in the trash compactor. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like that, that's hard. Be, there's no such thing. <laughs> right because because i don't, I don't know that no you, you know that i think there's a reason why and i don't want to get too morbid here that the most like intellectual minds for, first you know there was a meme about like uh uh toilet paper and he was paying his bills with it i just wanted to get that out there it was really funny but okay anyway getting back to it there's a reason why like so many intellectual minds in this country end up kind of like killing themselves unfortunately because it's like they they feel as if nobody can understand them nobody can like be at their level and it's kind of it's kind of lonely when you're you're like a philosoph- philosophical or intellectual person surrounded by just idiots but you know and then and then you get on the internet and then at least you can be that way there but you know there's something to be said for that and that's something we should look into was that Ariel? yeah that was Ariel. donnie had donnie uh would like to ask a question can donnie join chime in for sure. a minute too? donnie sure. go ahead ask. what i want to know is when como or whatever the hell his name is in the city when he said he was going to cut all these social programs to save money to buy respirators and shit like that. Now, you know, if he took all that money away from all these programs, what happens if we can get rid of this virus? What happens when he's been getting all this money from the government and getting all these hospitals put together and trying to head this off and get it to a peak and get it over with, then what the hell happens to all those people that all these programs were supposed to help, and they ain't going to give them 
that damn UDBI or whatever the hell it's called, and financial assistance, then, you know, what the hell was this all about? All right, I, I can answer that question. Uh, so when this is over, if it is over, uh, all of that money will go to the rich as a tax cut, and the programs that that money used to fund will be discontinued forever. And as for what will happen to the people those programs serve, simply nothing. Well, isn't that just dandy? Double That's up. the American way. <laughs> well, it's shit, and everybody that appropriates that ought to be shoved in the shit and thrown in the middle of the damn ocean. That's not nice, honey. We don't want to poison the sharks who are endangered species by feeding them junk food. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> We don't want to pollute the ocean <laughs> with with trash. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. Um, I kind of see this differently. I, I, I kind of think after this whole thing, I, I think there's going to be more of a um, an appetite to have a serious discussion on UBI you now at the national level, not just within the Yang Gang, but yeah, you know, I. I tend to think that you know some of these programs that may shrink in size i mean maybe that money will get filtered back to the people in some kind of ubi you know who knows maybe trump says you know what i'm gonna run on this and <laughs> we're gonna keep these checks that would be because, a miracle yeah i mean i don't think it's really beyond um beyond the fathomable really i mean if trump was smart if Trump was smart and he wanted to steal a march on a walking, talking, fucking 70 death rattle like Joe Biden, okay, he'd be jumping all over this shit like stink on shit and, and like a like a coat I mean, on the He doesn't even have to really do it right to, to, to sort of, uh, you know, beat the drum and maybe win a few votes from it. He can send one or two checks and go, look at that. Is that one or two checks? Maybe I'll send more. Find out by voting for me. And Joe Biden, <laughs> as you pointed out, is such an unappealing candidate. People will go, well, uh, Joe Biden offers nothing. Uh, Donald Trump offers a probably empty promise, but it's, it's only probably empty. I'll go for that one, right? You know, that's that's right. the choice we have as Americans. Yeah. Right. I think the, the, the possibility for uh, a, a, you know, a, a Trump UBI, yeah, the, the possibility is not zero. Um, and I, I think you know the reasons why would be well, the the seventy percent of the economy is driven by consumer spending. So, if if we do not have a a rock solid economic recovery in the very new future, I, I think that definitely opens up the door to a uh, to to a, to a UBI for the for for whatever seeable foreseeable uh, future and perhaps uh, forever. It's a, it's a it's a real possibility. The the funny thing is, like Trump said, he'd be the greatest jobs president we've ever had and technically we've had them like like 6.6 million people <laughs> so i think if if he wants to pull this economy out of the toilet he, he institutes that ubi and gets a second term i hey you get what you can get and I, I think yeah. everybody should be screaming their heads off at nancy pelosi and all these other assholes that wanted to you know Cock block, excuse my French, okay, but who in insisted on cock blocking, you know, uh, the first idea, which was to not have it be means tested and be a, 
a bureaucratic clusterfuck. Right. Oh, she's as culpable as anyone. As absolutely, Nancy Pelosi is as culpable now as she anyone has on blood the right on her for hands. means testing. So, Zach or uh, Jeremy, you say uh, you pointed out that this may happen. You think because it would fix the economy. I mean, yeah, it is the way to. If there is any way to resurrect any semblance of the old market and the old market system, a UBI is going to be necessary for the reason you pointed out. The old system is based on consumer spending. Consumers are no longer able to spend, and that situation seems to be indefinite, if not permanent. So a UBI would solve that, right? Seems like the thing to do. Seems like nonpartisanship. Seems like a law that could get passed, except it's unorthodox, and nothing unorthodox has ever happened uh, from the Democratic or Republican leadership in our lifetimes. So I just don't think they uh, have the flexibility to do it at all without uh, losing their careers. I think if anyone does anything unorthodox and their their origin window is so small at the top, I mean, you know, they're they're shunned from that little group and they they lose their 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 connections. Here's another thing. Here's another thing, guys. Um, In California and, and in some other states, I don't know which other ones, but I know California was proposing, you know, cutting people four month break on their mortgage. Okay, don't know about rent. Rent wasn't included, but mortgages were. But here's the catch: um, at the on the fourth month, they're going to have to pay all of that for the, the three months that it's on moratorium. They're going to have to pay all that up in the fourth month, or you know, or they're going to end up being put out of their homes. And that's not a break. That's not helping the people. What that is is a foreclosure notice, and that's going to exacerbate. You know, for for people that are mom and pop landlords that maybe own a duplex where they live in one of the apartments and a tenant lives in the other, right? They're going to lose their homes and the tenants are going to, you know, end up, it's going to exacerbate homelessness as well, you know? I don't think our states and our country is that retarded. What are they going to do? They're going to find another tenant who has like a virus to uh to to come in uh if if they're really that stupid like i don't know what to say but i think who has money yeah i i would think that they would at least say that okay at least you're in your house you have the internet you have something like try to first build up this money you know and and we'll we'll help you but if they're idiots, they'll just say okay like you're out and we're who who else are they gonna find Everybody is in the same position that the people who who that their old tenants are. They'll just be shooting themselves in the foot. Well, we're talking about a nation that hoarded fucking toilet paper. <laughs> so yeah, I guess you got a point there. We're talking about a nation full of conspiracy theorists that are out in full force right now, like that guy that deliberately derailed a freight train. And you know, this isn't a small group we're talking about. Google some of these sites and you'll see, you know, there's a lot of people that buy into some of this crazy stuff. And uh, it's quite scary. It really is. And the fact that there's a lack of economic stability right now, from the poorest up to those at least in the upper middle class, who are now, you know, shit's just getting real for them, that, I, you know, I'm, I'm really scared for, you know... The outcome, it it really does scare the shit out of me. It really does. I think I, mean, I think a guy up the street from where I live that they 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 had all the and I never saw you know in, in dinky little Erie County, Pennsylvania. You know I never saw militarized cops before, but 
they were out in full force because somebody went around the bend and I guess they were threatening to do in their family. And there was like a couple of kids and stuff. And, you know, I think they took the guy away to, to the psych ward in Hammett. But, you know, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of those, those situations. And it's because of the, you know, the people snapping because of the economic distress. Right. I've been, been trying to like draw comparisons between this and nine 11. I mean, we really don't have any other thing in, the American experience, recent American experience that would, you know, draws, you know, anywhere near of what we're in now. But like the more I think about it, the more I look into it, like there, there really are no comparisons. Um, so one big difference between this and 9-11 was, I mean, 9-11 had a lot of theatrics, right? I mean, we had, uh, you know, we had the towers, we had explosions, we had, you know, it was, it was very theatrical. Um, and we also had a common enemy, um, you know, it, it, even though it wasn't tangible, it was mostly existential. But, you know, we were the American people were able to experience a, a collective heartbreak. And, you know, we were able to focus, you know, our efforts toward a, toward a common common enemy. Like one thing, you know, one thing that was common at, you know, during 9-11 was you turn on CNN, the left half of the screen you know, on repeat. You're seeing, you know, the planes crash into the towers. You're seeing the towers collapse. And then on the right side of the screen, there's a picture of Osama bin Laden and the 19 hijackers, right? Yeah. You, 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 you can't do that in this, this, uh, this pandemic. And so what's, what's so fundamentally different about this situation is that the common enemy now is not this existential you know, idea of these group of people in the Middle East. The, the, you know, the existential enemy now is our neighbors. It's, it's, it's me. It's you. It's every person you come into contact with. And I, I think that's also why this is like so dangerous for American culture, American society, is that it's only going to even deeper ingrain uh, disdain for one another. Does that resonate with you guys? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, Jeremy. I mean, you put it very eloquently, and uh, there isn't anything you said that I can disagree with there. Well, um, like for the most intelligent among us. Uh, we can we can create like uh, coalitions and things like that, but you know, like like it's it's so interesting how so many deep relationships are now created online as opposed to offline. <laughs> it's, well, okay. it's so. There's also something else, Ariel, too, and that is, um, this is very traumatizing. What we're all collectively going through. Um, with an enemy that you need an electron microscope to fucking see, okay? I mean, viruses are tiny little things, right? And um, it's just... But but in an ironic... It, that because it's so traumatic with, you know, everything economically and then, you know, people not having, you know, health care and uh, having to worry about being evicted too on top of everything else. There's a lot of trauma. And traumatized people, it doesn't matter how fucking smart you are. When you are put in literal fear of not being able to survive life and death, you know, uh, trauma, your prefrontal cortex shuts right the fuck down. There goes problem solving and thinking and creativity right out the window. That's why they say poverty and the constant trauma from elevated cortisol levels, from the, the unrelenting stress and trauma of, of extreme poverty. Knocks about 13 IQ points or one standard deviation. 
off of a person. Um, you know, um, I th I think that... Uh, and I'm not bragging, but I, I can afford to lose a few IQ points here and there, but, you know, gee whiz, you know, everybody has their limit, all right? Yeah, yeah. The, damn, what was I going to say? It's, it, the, no, yeah, it just goes to show you, though, that it, no matter how big you are, something small can bring you to your knees, you know? And, and I think for all those people out there who feel small, you're not small. If, 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 be, be, because, because one little, you know, you know it's kind of interesting. We see that how something small brought together because, because one little tiny, tiny micron of virus, if it, because you heard a viral load, if you have a small viral load and your immune system takes care of it quickly and efficiently, you're, you, if, if you come across a bigger viral load, it's, it's like, it's prepared you. But if you come across like a big viral load all at once and it overwhelms you, that's when you're in serious trouble. But the thing is, is that like people who think that they're small and they're alone out there, if we all kind of band together, then we can really, really take on this neoliberal system as well. Kind of like, you know, but, but in this case, like, we're, we're the antidote to this virus of neoliberalism because it's, it's two viruses compared into one, an ideolo ideological virus and an actual virus, physical virus. So we, we, we can be the antidote for both of them by understanding them and coming up with the ways to defeat them. <laughs> Some people are calling for a general strike. I don't know what you guys think of that. Oh yeah, it's absolutely one hundred percent time for that. If uh, if if retail workers, Walmart workers, if they're ever gonna unionize, now is the time. If they don't do it now, it's, it's never gonna happen. Bottom line. A general strike isn't just about a work stoppage. It also means everybody doesn't pay their bills and doesn't buy anything and cancels their Netflix subscription and only buys that which is absolutely essential for survival. That's what a general strike entails. Right. I kind of already do that. We'll starve <laughs> the beast for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, I wonder if that will happen. Jacqueline, do you know of like any particularly notable calls? Because there have been several. Is there Scott one that Stanton. seems to have the most uh, Scott Sentence? Is, is he the one with? Do you think the most momentum behind his uh, Jimmy Dore? Jimmy Dore. So what and do then think Jimmy Dore. What do you think is? Okay, yeah, go on. Sorry, Jimmy Dore put the pressure on Bernie Sanders, and then Bernie Sanders announced that we should have one. Go ahead, Jim. Well, I think if he announced that, then he's probably the one with the biggest platform. His is probably the one that's going to take precedence if it's going to happen, I'd assume. All right. He, he tweeted it out, and then Jimmy Dore he, um, made okay. a video about have it. Have there been any talks about uh, times, dates? Um, I haven't seen any yet. Um, I was trying to calm down from all the other, you know, traumatizing shit I was reading and probably shouldn't have been reading. Yeah, I think you know, if there is a general strike, I think uh, the demands need to be, you know, really need to watch who's going to be leading it. You know, what, the, what are their demands? Are they realistic? And is it something that can, you know, people can really get behind? Yeah, well, Scott Sands is calling for a general strike, and the demand is UBI immediately. 
without conditions. And what is what Sanders's demand? I mean, does he not have a demand for UBI as well? He should be great if he did. I was hoping he well, did. Does he not? No, um, he's mostly about Medicare for all and unionizing. And it's like, well, with all these people that are poor, that are jobless, um, I don't know how well that's going to go over. I, I think Scott had the right idea when he said, hey, you know, we got to demand, you know, UBI if we yeah. have a job, you know, for having yeah. a job. Right. Obviously, obviously, I am inclined towards Scott's type of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. See, Scott's type that's, of striker. That's, that's the problem with the general strike idea is that. You know, everybody wants something else, and I feel like it would just be used as a way to kind of backdoor their own policies or their own ideology, uh, you know, and we're basically at war right now, you know. Uh, you know, you can make the argument that we need UBI. You can make the argument that we need um, Medicare for all, $15 minimum wage, you know, whatever it is. I don't think right now is really the time to call a strike. You know, I mean, general strike, I'm thinking nurses leaving the hospital. I mean, you're going to have people dying because of that, you know? Oh, like I people know. People can't get food, you know? And, I and know. you know, and and who is in charge, you know? What yeah, exactly? Time, though, Are we know. really unified in what we're trying to achieve? I don't think we are. No, and that's a good point. But um, some of the people, uh, the more the some some people who are traditionally labor focused, are going. This is the time when labor has leverage for the first time in forty years. Let's use it. So they want the you know like a, a higher minimum wage, pay uh, you know treatment for for workers in general. So that that it, it does make sense um, that there is a at least one coalition, which is you know labor, which has pretty clear demands but but you know like uh, uh, the general strike is more than just uh, production if it's also consumption then you can't just have it with labor it's not enough yeah that's not gonna happen people aren't gonna cancel their netflix accounts if they're sitting at home you know <laughs> i mean it's some just... will but maybe not i don't know i mean certainly a lot won't but some some will i don't know if it'll be enough to do accomplish anything maybe Maybe not. Right. And it, it, it also, I mean, Jesus Christ, if we're going to you know, attack Netflix with a general strike, well, I mean, <laughs> they, they take that money out of your account. It was like the first of the month, every month. So like the, the general strike would have to last like months for it to oh, actually you just have to hurt be on the Netflix bottom. But, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it'd take a long time for it to hurt. Really I don't know. I think if, if, if it was just one day and everyone was late on that payment, that might have a significant impact. Yeah, I mean, we're, if we're talking about a sizable chunk of normal Netflix customers, you know, doing it where they're, you know, they're not going to be subscribing to Netflix and Hulu and these other sites. Like, even if people canceled and signed up again 48 hours later, I think the, the, the point is made. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, the thing is, it's hard to tell. I mean, could a general... Right now... uh we're a powder keg. This country, this whole country is a 330 million person strong powder keg, you know, that's posed to go off. And, you know, this could happen organically. We don't know how or when, but little by little, I mean, you've, you've got different sparks igniting fires. I mean, look at what happened with the, the firing of Christian Smalls, the Amazon employee who uh, um, got fired for blowing the whistle at the Staten Island facility uh, over Amazon uh, 
practices around the, the coronavirus that erupted in a warehouse, you know? I don't know if you guys are familiar with what happened there with Yeah, I am. Um but uh, I mean I mean it's it's complicated to think about right now, but I think the real question is that if if it is a general strike, it would have to be organized in a way where like the the it's against the vulture capitalists. Like the 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 people who just take money but produce really nothing of value, you know. How that, are those they're the worst. targeted specifically? Uh, I don't I don't know. Like um, maybe maybe like not not paying bills and credit card payments, etc. But um, do like like help like maybe like the nurses and the workers still do it, but then um, uh, yeah, it's it's complicated. But in in a way that targets. People who just collect money but don't add value, uh, uh, just just can't can't cancel the 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 payments to anything. But then, like I don't know, still buy the groceries. Yeah, that's so, something to think yeah, about. Maybe the possibility of excluding small business or whatever. But um, we'll have to talk about that next time. Here yeah, we are. I, we're over time. So, Zach, did you uh, you want to say something before I call it here? I was just gonna say I, I just kind of see it as a way to um kind of begin the revolution you know <laughs> if we had a general strike you'd see this country just break down real fast and yeah uh, i mean i i, I i'm I hungry for change sure yeah i just want to make sure that the disabled and the unemployable jobless poor aren't ignored in this whole thing because well, they'd be hurt even more if there's a general strike you know? no because it's Nothing almost be it's almost produced. all worker focused and i'm a little concerned about that you know because um, there's a lot of unpaid caregivers that, you know, they need help too. There's people like me and Donnie who need help and, you know, and we deserve incomes too. You know, we struggled and suffered and paid more than our fair share of dues and certainly don't deserve to be spending the last few years of our life in dire poverty, you know, and the fact that, you know, um, you know, it's mostly worker focused. It, it kind of makes me concerned that, you know, that, the most vulnerable are going to be thrown under the bus by everybody. Can you yes. understand? Mm-hmm. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, I get it. Yes. We'll have to talk about that again next time. Well, all right. I, I got I to get going, guys. Yeah. Um, right. I've had a great time. Um, yeah. See you guys next week. And uh, Jeremy, uh, what's your safe. Twitter handle before you leave? What's your Twitter name? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah you can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Salmons One. Uh, Jeremy S A M M O N S and the number one. Uh, Zach, what's your Twitter? It's at Zach Z A C H underscore Sacker S A C H E R. All right, thank you, Jacqueline. What is your Twitter? Jack, it's at Jacqueline Homan, all one word, lowercase. Jacqueline J A C Q U E L I N E H O M as in Mary A N as in Nancy. It's my Twitter. Thank you, uh, Ariel. What is your Twitter? It's Ariel's, A-R-I-L-E-S, underscore Armada, A-R-M-A-D-A. And you can find me on YouTube at Revolutionary Thinking. Thank you. And uh, I'm Shale, S-H-A-E-L-R-I-L-E-Y on Twitter. I hate to cut a good conversation off in the middle, guys, but, you know, I got to give this thing edited. We've got a couple episodes backlogged already. So thank you guys for coming. This hey, is, thank you. Thanks yeah. for having it's us. It's always yeah. a productive conversation. Um, okay. So I will see you again next week. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.